Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. Before we get to today's exciting show with my esteemed and absolutely delightful guest, John Logan, I just want to thank everyone who's been supportive of the podcast. This show's been going strong for almost three years now, believe it or not. Uh, In May, it'll be three years. And uh, that's largely thanks to you, the listeners of this show. So thank you for continuing to support the podcast and listen to it. I've received so many nice comments messages, tags on social media, shout outs in monster magazines, and very thoughtful donations as well. Uh, Speaking of, I want to thank those who have donated to the podcast through Buy Me a Coffin, uh, I mean uh, Buy Me a Coffee, um, and via other means as well. I'll include a link in the show notes if you'd like to donate. Uh, No pressure, of course. Uh, And absolutely thank you to all of those who have contributed, including several anonymous donors, uh, so you know who you are, and thank you, uh, Ted M., Paige, Dana, Christian, Jennifer, Guy, Lisa, Scott and Michael, Gay, David, Don, Avecchia, Mark, and my guest today, John Logan. Thank you so much for all of your support of the podcast. It's really uh, appreciated. That does help to defray the costs of podcast hosting, of the editing software that I use. Uh, I might even be able to start doing a little advertising even uh, outside of the internet and social media. Uh, Speaking of, you can find me on social media, on Instagram at pennydreadful1313. I'm also on Facebook, Penny Dreadful. Uh, If you just type that in, you'll find me. I'm the one wearing the witch hat. Uh, And I am also on Twitter. Well, I guess X now. Um, Danielle13Penny. I don't know how much longer I'm going to keep that Twitter account. I'll I'll be honest with you. Uh, But um, I am there for the time being anyway. As you can tell, I'm a bit stuffy. I am getting over COVID. I finally got COVID. Uh, I had not gotten it up until now. And it caught up with me just in time for opening weekend of Clue in uh, the Falmouth Theater Guild. Uh, We did opening night. Started to feel sniffly by the end of the night. Achy. Did the COVID test the next day. I was positive. A couple other cast members were positive too. A couple crew members were positive. So they had to postpone the show, reschedule it. Um, But it is coming up again. Uh, By the time this goes up, it should be this weekend, actually, uh, that we'll be back in action. So that would be uh, Friday, February 9th. uh, If we're going back up, 7.30. It's a great show. I mean, just judging by opening weekend, the show went so well. The audience was fantastic. The show went well. The cast, I I had such a great time at the rehearsals for this show because every night was like comedy night. They were just on point. They were, we were just cracking each other up and they were especially cracking me up because they are, they're just great. The director was great. The set looks amazing. Very Edward Gorey inspired set. Um, so if you're in the area, please come see Clue at the Highfield Summer Theater out in Falmouth, Massachusetts, out in the Cape. Uh, we have a show this weekend. We, on the, on the 9th, we have a show. We have a, uh, two shows on the 10th at 2 p.m. and 7.30. And then we have a matinee on Sunday the 11th. And then we're back again on uh, Friday the 16th. We have three shows that weekend, and we close on the 18th. And uh, I'll put a link in the show notes if you want to get tickets. If you do, stick around after the show. There's like a little tent area there. I'll come out. Please come over and say hi. Introduce yourself. If you listen to the podcast, let me know. I would love to meet you. Uh, And speaking of the podcast, I am thrilled and excited to get to today's show featuring the marvelous John Logan. I had so much fun chatting with John, and I can't wait for you to hear this episode. So let's get to it. Hey 
This episode contains spoilers for both Dark Shadows and Showtime's Penny Dreadful. Welcome to Terror at Collinwood. Tis I, Penny Dreadful. And he's Penny Dreadful too. What? What's happening? Well, I am ecstatic. Ecstatic, I tell you, to be joined by John Logan, the one and only John Logan, playwright and screenwriter extraordinaire. John received the Tony Award for his play, Red and wrote the book for Moulin Rouge, which received the Tony Award for Best Musical. He is the author of more than a dozen other plays, including Peter and Alice, I'll Eat You Last, A Chat with Sue Mengers, and Never the Sinner. As a screenwriter, he has been nominated for the Oscar three times and has received Golden Globe, BAFTA, WGA, and Edgar Awards. His film work includes Skyfall, Gladiator, The Aviator, Sweeney Todd, Hugo, Rango, Alien, Covenant, Spectre, Genius, Coriolanus, The Last Samurai, Star Trek Nemesis, They, Them, and Any Given Sunday. He created the television series Penny Dreadful for Showtime. John also happens to be a passionate longtime Dark Shadows fan, so today the creator of Showtime's Penny Dreadful is going to have a conversation with the horror hostess Penny Dreadful about Dark Shadows, a television show which shares many similarities to the original 19th century Penny Dreadfuls. It's all come full circle, John. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, after after stop stalking you the way I did to oh say my... like, oh, let's talk, let's talk. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Oh my goodness. I was, I was, uh, blown away when I saw on the thank you by the way for for your patronage of the podcast and I saw in the buy because I saw in the buy me a coffee I saw your name there and you just made a comment I said really what no no way so you know I, I'm so excited to have you here and uh I'm I was talking to you right before we started but when I I watched uh, Penny Dreadful on Showtime and enjoyed it a lot. And as I was watching I said wow he must be a Dark Shadows fan he must be a dark because I caught a lot of just the 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 echoes of Collinwood were were in there, uh, and uh, even one of the characters is named Angelique. Even uh, uh, so, I was like, "Well, there's there must be a, a dark shadows connection here." So I'm really happy to hear that that is the case. <laughs> it, it could not be more the case. You know, I will say that I was sort of raised with the holy trinity of dark shadows, Star Trek, and Planet of the Apes. You know, and awesome. I was a monster. <laughs> Yeah, I was a monster kid from the time I can remember, you know, opening my eyes. So it was, I was, ran home from school. It was San Pedro, California. It was during, I think, 1795 storyline that I started watching. And it, it has stayed with me actively in my life since then. I always love hearing from 
creators who've done some amazing things who it turns out mm. are dark shadows fans and grew up watching it and and love it and that's really really exciting because the show inspires so many people creatively and um and it's had such an impact i think on the genre in general and i want to get to that a little bit but before we talk about dark shadows um i would love to hear uh about your uh uh upcoming play uh which is called double feature uh, it sounds incredible uh when you told me about it i was like oh my god this is amazing uh it'll be premiering on february 8th through march 16th i believe at the hampstead theater in london so can you talk a little bit about that before we get into dark shadows it's you know one of my great joys in in life is you know in the process is watching actors work with directors and whether it's on stage or in on screen you know to see the way that Ridley Scott or Marty Scorsese or Sam Mendes, how they communicate with an actor. It's just, it's a fascinating relationship because it, it's at once, as you know, very intimate and very public. So how actors and directors negotiate uh, a world is always fascinating. And I've always been obsessed with the story of two stories, Alfred Hitchcock and Tippi Hedren making Marnie and Vincent Price and Michael Reeves making Witchfinder General. And I thought there's there's something about these contentious relationships that is very dramatic. So first I thought, well, I'll do Alfred and Tibbs as one act and I'll do Michael Reeves and Vincent Price, you know, as the second act. And I thought, well, no, I'll just put them together because in the theater, as well, you know, you can accept surreal, you can accept abstract in that way. So so the play deals with those four characters uh, and their, their highly charged relationships. Is this um, going to be uh, coming to the States at all? Do you know if it'll be? Well, we hope. This is the first yeah. production. I've, I've been working on this play unbelievably for over 10 years mm -hmm. because it was very hard to get the, the sort of symphonic nature of two separate stories in different time periods happening at the same time. So this is the first production at the Hampstead Theater. Uh, so hopefully people will like it. We'll continue to work on it. But that's up to the theater gods. That is most everything. Yeah. It's such an interesting uh, story with, you know, Vincent Price and and uh, Michael Reeves did not, you know, they butted heads a lot uh, on on he's, he's, Reeves was such a young filmmaker, but uh, it was a great performance by Vincent Price. I mean, he was terrifying in in that role as terrifying. Matthew Hopkins. Yeah, and and that's why when people when people look at theatrical actors like mm. Vincent Price, like Thayer David, like mm. Grayson Hall, it's easy to dismiss that as well. That's melodrama. It's not real. And then you see the capacity of what they can do. And I always tell people when they want to diss Grayson Hall, I'm like, why don't you take two hours of your life and watch Night of Dark Shadows and watch yeah. Carlotta and see a completely different skill set at work? That is a great actor. And I think the same is true of Vincent Price. You know, people who only know him from the AIP Roger Corman films have a particular you know, slant on what Vincent Price does, or they know him as Egghead, or they know him as one of the more theatrical um, characters. But, you know, Michael Reeves, coming from a completely different school of filmmaking, the auteur school, and it was Godard, it was Truffaut, and it was Pasolini, didn't want any of that. So the contentious relationship was about making Vincent Price give the performance of his lifetime. Because as you say, his Matthew Hopkins will chill your blood. You know, yeah. and there's no Grand Guignol and there's no over the top and there's no cape twirling. It is just, you know, cold evil that's chilling to me. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so clearly, you know, as as you've stated at the top of the show, you know, you're a 
you were a monster kid. Uh, you loved Dark Shadows. So how how yeah. did Dark Shadows fit into your world as, as a kid? Like what was in terms of being a monster kid? Like what can you talk a little bit about that, about your childhood? It, yeah, it did. I had, you know, I had an interesting child. My parents are from Belfast, Northern Ireland, and uh, my father's a naval architect. So we would move sort of to port city to port city growing up. So I lived all over. I lived in New Jersey and San Pedro and Mississippi and Seattle and Belfast. I lived everywhere growing up. Um, but I always loved two things, which was Shakespeare and monsters. You know, I was introduced to Shakespeare way too young and it just stayed with me forever, mostly because I think my dad, this sounds apocryphal, but it's completely true, sat me down and said, you need to watch this movie. And it was Olivier's Hamlet. Wow. Unbelievably scary ghosts, unbelievably exciting sword fight. And there was this other thing, which was Shakespeare. And so my dad really encouraged that. But my real love was monsters. And it was, you know, it started with the universal classics, obviously, you know, the, all the, the shock theater package with the first generation, then the second generation, which I consider beginning around Frankenstein meets the Wolfman to be the second generation. Mm -hmm. And I just, I would just watch those endlessly. There were three channels. I would watch them endlessly. Those and sort of the Basil Rathbone, Sherlock Holmes. You know, I would watch those films sort of endlessly and gradually was introduced to the Hammer films. You know, and there was something about the creativity and imagination of those movies that just drew me in, you know, and has really stayed with me. And then came Dark Shadows, you know, and what, looking back, what I loved about Dark Shadows was two things I couldn't have realized when I was seven, which is the complexity of the characterization, because they had all the time, was so profound and probably influenced me most as a writer to this day. And the fact that they were fearless with story. And so Dark Shadows became a very safe place for me. And, you know, in the middle of sort of my process, you know, with Dark Shadows, we moved from San Pedro to Milburn, New Jersey. And like we went from 3.30 to 4 o'clock. But it really stayed with me. And, you know, Barnabas was a hero. And I dressed up as Barnabas. And I had as many collectibles as I could afford. And the comic <laughs> books. And I, you know, I obviously built the Aurora models and everything. So it's continually stayed with me over throughout my life, periodically going back, watch the original series, the movies, the revivals, you know, 2004, everything, reading all the books. And it, it came back heavy when I was working, when I started thinking about Penny Dreadful. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I started, I started rewatching episodes, you know, which was very useful. Yeah. Um, because I'm, I'm sure many who are listening to this have seen Penny Dreadful, but you took all of those classic horror characters from literature and put them together, which Universal did, which you mentioned Frankenstein yeah. meets the Wolfman, the first, yeah. uh, you know, shared universe, I guess, a mo monster rally films, and then Dark Shadows took inspiration from all of that and put them all together. And you did the, did that in Penny Dreadful and had them all interacting with each other, which was really cool to yeah, see. And it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was very much, uh, you know, when I was a kid, it was weirdly the second generation I loved more. I mean, I will always respect the mummy, the Boris Karloff mummy as being mm -hmm. great art. The same with James Whale Frankenstein, Bride of Frankenstein, Dracula. I recognize and appreciate all of that. But what excited me was the monster, ma Mad Monster Party or the monster yes. mashup, where suddenly it was Frankenstein, the Wolfman, House of Dracula, House of Frankenstein, where all these storylines intersected in a really complex way. And I found that very exciting as a kid. I don't know why, but but it was because it was so imaginative. And, mm -hmm. you know, and I think because you could sort of chart a continuum of characters, particularly Larry Talbot, you yeah. know, you could chart that character through, it became a continuum. The way the way that Peter Cushing's, the, you know, Dr. Frankenstein became a continuum. 
Uh, and when we talk about Barnabas Collins, you know, and the roots of the character, you know, we obviously talk about Barney the Vampire and Dracula's daughter, you know, the reluctant or semi-reluctant vampire. But I think Larry Talbot deserves a lot of mention as well. Because yes, you're right. he was so tormented yeah. by what he became. He wanted to die frequently. And, and the character always watched that razor's edge of this thing I can't control and this thing I wish I had the morality to control, which is which is Barnabas Collins. So all of that you know, was really swirling in my head when I when I sat down to start creating Penny Dreadful. And I wanted to do Gothic. I wanted to do Dark Shadows. Truth be told, I tried to get the rights to Dark Shadows and they were completely unavailable. Oh, no. So, uh, yeah. So then I thought about doing doing uh, Frankenstein, doing like the Peter Cushing version where you just mm -hmm. really spread it out you, you can, and you continue the story. And then I thought, no, I, I need to I need to do something that's more provocative than that, uh, you know, and certainly you know, in, in Penny Dreadful, I will say that to people who understand what this means, which is like, I embrace my House of Dark Shadows, Dan Curtis. So it's very <laughs> bloody. It's it's very, the, the gore is gory. The guignol is guignol, you know, as opposed to my ABC studios. Uh, you know, right. I always tell people that. So like, I don't want my mother, I'm like, okay, the show's a little violent and there's a little sexuality. So be prepared. One thing I, I often mention on the podcast, when people talk about Adam, they think about Adam becoming, you know, getting rid of the scars and and living a normal. No, that wouldn't. I think Adam would become like the creature Caliban or in in Penny yeah. in Penny Dreadful. Uh, I often call that out. And when I had writer Rich Hanley on the podcast, he referred to that character. He, he is venomous almost just because of how he's treated. Like in the novel too, um, yeah. I think he would Adam would become increasingly intelligent, but also. In, embittered as he deals with the world. I don't think the scars would come off. I think they, I mean, the internal scars and the external exactly. scars would still be there. Yeah, yeah it, it, exactly right. In all respect to Sam Hall, who I worship, it's like, you know, the piece he wrote about, well, this is what will happen to the Dark Shadows characters. Mm -hmm. I, I don't consider that canon. I Same. consider that like like the comic books or like the 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 Dan Ross novels, which yeah. I love. Mm -hmm. You know, I consider that a different uh, sensibility, you know, so it's up to people like us to imagine what would have he become. But the essence of Frankenstein, the creature to me, or Caliban, as we called him in, in Penny Dreadful, is torment, is, yeah. is inner torment, searching for beauty. In the case of Penny Dreadful, it was poetry. Yeah. You know, it was it was just tons of Keats and John Clare and romantic poetry, uh, you know, and in the case of, of our sainted Mary Shelley, it was language and philosophy. Yeah. And yeah. so when people when people sniff at horror, which they do, yes. you know, <laughs> I say you need to you need to take the time and read Frankenstein and tell me it's not a provocative statement about what it is to be a human being. When you talk about people sniffing at horror, which yeah, I, I agree they do. I think with Dark Shadows too, I think even among horror, there are a lot of horror fans, monster kids that love Dark Shadows like we do. Um, there are some that are not. I guess some have really gotten into it and others yeah. found it slow. And I feel like Dark Shadows is such a pivotal part of, of the pantheon, I guess, of classic horror, of the of genre television. Um, it had an Im such an impact, but it doesn't get enough credit for it. Um, I, I don't know if what your yeah. thoughts are on that and if you have advice for people that maybe want to want to check out the show and are having a difficult yeah. time absorbing it. It's 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 well, that's the big question, isn't it? It's 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 how do we keep this show alive and vital? Because it is important. And there's a couple of ways to look at it, I think. And you've talked about this so brilliantly in, in your podcast before, which is like, look, it takes time. It takes attention. It's not, uh, you're not going to be satisfied initially. 
if there's something about the mood or the story or a character or an actor that intrigues you, hang in there. Because it was written, as we know, as a soap opera and the length of time to watch the whole thing, which I did. I'll tell you about my my marathon last year during the strike. But, you know, it requires attention and attention is in short supply sometimes with some people. Um, but what I would say to artists is it's imperative, I think, to understand where you are in the continuum of your art form. And for anyone involved in genre, you must recognize the majesty of Dark Shadows and what Dan Curtis and Sam Hall and Gordon Russell and all the performers and Robert Colton, you have, have to recognize what they did, which is they created the first serial narrative in speculative or terror fiction. And they did it right, and they did it first, and they did it with passion. Even the, what, the most sort of anemic of storylines, and every fan will know what that is for them, still has has a sizzle to it that is that is thrilling to watch if you're willing if you're willing to go there yeah i absolutely agree um and, and anything you i mean we talked over email a little bit about how dark shadows kind of created that template for the modern iteration yeah. of, of of horror on television a lot of these shows now are serialized uh with yeah. all of these char uh, character driven uh, storylines and dynamics, but infused with supernatural or uh, otherworldly elements that feed into the whole the whole thing. And Dark Shadows established that. And like you said, with passion, Dan Curtis, and this is why I championed Dan Curtis uh, for the last year's Rondo Awards for the Monster Kid yeah. Hall of Fame, because Dan Curtis himself was a fan of, of those things, um, yeah. which I'm sure was probably a challenge during that time too to to be as you said people kind of kind of looked down their nose at horror stuff so he yeah. i think he wanted to also obviously establish himself with something else with winds of war and war and remembrance right. you know when i had mark dewidziak on here he was talking about how dan curtis didn't want on his tombstone the creator of dark shadows now to the creator of dark shadows winds of war and reborn remembrance and dark shadows <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Well, look, the, the, you know, there are, there are innovators in uh, art and there, uh, there are followers. Mm -hmm. And Dan Curtis was a great innovator. And mm -hmm. that doesn't mean he wrote every episode, of course, but he's the de facto head writer. You know, he mm -hmm. worked with Art Wallace and Sam Hall and, you know, Violet Wells and everyone else to shape this very unique thing. And again, that had never been done before. To me, it's like the first time people see Picasso's Guernica, the first time it was unveiled to the world how shocking that must have been. So to say to um, housewives or kids coming home from school, okay, so I want you to follow this story for 1,200, <laughs> what is it, 40, 45 20, episodes? 25, yeah. 25 well, they, episodes. They did double numbering on some of them. Yeah, for yeah. Uh, <laughs> and that, thank you for excusing my my error there. Oh, uh, no, no. <laughs> yeah, no. And, and so, so, you know, and I want you to follow it and it's going to be uh, unusual and it's something you've never seen before. And when I hear it's something you've never seen before in art, I, I lean into that because that's exciting because I could turn the channel and watch anything in the world or I could be inspired by anything else. But what that man did, and not only with Dark Shadows, I mean, like my huge Kolchak, you know, Night Stalker, oh, Night Strangler, yeah, even yeah. the series, Trilogy yeah. of Terror, Burnt Offerings, you know, it, it's extraordinary. The fecundity of imagination to keep working and explore different areas of the, of that uh, genre. There should be there should be a statue to Dan Curtis for what he did for artists like me, for other people who aren't artists, who were just inspired, who felt other, different, needed a place to fit in, wanted to 
be excited, wanted to laugh, wanted to be turned on, whatever it was, it was a very unique event. Yeah. And it still is a unique event if people are willing to open the door, step in and say, look, Jessica Fletcher is not going to solve the crime in an hour. <laughs> uh, you're not going to have special effects like you'd see now. What you're going to see is, a, and this is what I tell people who don't know the show, it's like watching live theater. Yes, and yes. That is thrilling because as you know, they they were racing to get the show out. They were writing as the train was coming down the tracks at them and creating. And that gives it to me because I grew up in the theater. And I love the theater, an excitement that the most well-mannered, well-structured show cannot have. It has something else, but there's something about that energy that that I find still to this day, when I was watching it last night, just intoxicating. Yeah, agreed. I, I think people sometimes tend to focus too much on the bloopers or, or whatever the, the mistakes, but it's it's li like you said, it's like live theater. It's live to tape. And I tell people, you, you try doing that every day and see, see, see how that goes. I mean, they couldn't, I mean, they were limited in terms of what they could do in post-production. They didn't have time to, to yeah. edit which until later, which, until later. Well, until mm -hmm. later, which I love because like mm -hmm. sometimes great art is made under great pressure. Yeah. You know, yeah, you yeah. can have all the time in the world and produce mediocrity, but if you're, but if like, you know, like being a screenwriter, you know, you walk on to the Coliseum set for Gladiator and there's 2000 extras waiting and you need to write three lines yeah. and you have your steno pad and your flare black pen and you need to deliver and yeah. nothing happens until that happens. That sort of energy and just not just writers, actors, directors, anyone involved in that sort of pressure or it previews for a show, for a play where it's like, it's not working. What do we do? Because we have an audience coming in three hours, you know, and yeah. we have so much rehearsal time. That to me is, is super exciting. That's one of the things that makes Dark Shadows so exciting for me personally, and all theater people should appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. That That's also one of the reasons I uh, love performing in uh, improv troops, even though I'm getting a little uh, long in the tooth or long in the fangs, I guess, for, for that. But it's, uh, my my hips are get, get a little sore after all the running around. But improv is so, it's like uh, uh, walking on a, on a a tightrope without a net, you know, it's just, there's that spontaneous energy that's going on uh, there that I, I love and who knows what's going to happen next kind of, kind of a, a feel. And, and some, and sometimes you fall off the tightrope. It happens, yes. you know, yeah, yeah. and that's when people, when people say to me, oh, dark shadows, the one with the cardboard tombstones, right? Uh, that fall over. <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it just sort of pisses me off because it's like, I, I remember doing again, gladiator. It's like a year later, someone came up to me and said, so you're going gladiator. Well, you know, they had no paper then. So that was a mistake. <laughs> and I said, why don't you tell it to the best picture Oscar? You know, I was like, those things are just drive me insane. That is the best not... comeback ever, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> it, it's not, it's not like it's it's mm. entertainment, it's drama. There's nothing, yeah. there's nothing naturalistic about it, which is the other one of the other things I love about Dark Shadows. There was nothing naturalistic about that yes. show. Agreed. It is yeah. heightened. It is, it is heightened. And I love that Dark Shadows exists, as Jonathan Frid used to call it, in it, the Dark Brigadoon in its own world. Like you're not, they're not referencing, uh, you know, what's going on in, in the world or or products like Lucky Charms or whatever. You know, they're, they're just in this weird world that exists on its own. It's sort of 
tethered to the to the real world a little like they'll go to bangor or boston or something you know but it's occasionally when when they do mention things from real life it's especially in like the first year or so it's Mm -hmm. it's sort of like what what wait wait what what are we talking about now you know and and i even remember when like uh, you know, Victor Van Gibbon talks about like Kitchener in the Sudan. I'm like, oh my God, they're, yes. talking about they're talking about history. They're talking about Africa, Central Africa, yeah. and Dark Shadow. It seems very strange because maybe that's one of the reasons I just, you tell me, that Colin would seem so safe, even though it was filled with murder weapons and dangerous people and poison and Angelique, you know, <laughs> there was something about it that was set off. And for that 22, 25 minutes, you, you were in a safe space where Vietnam didn't matter, Watergate didn't matter, being gay and and having asthma didn't matter yeah. because this was a place where none of that existed. What existed was magic. Yes. Yeah, yeah. there is something very mystical about Collinwood. It is it is an escape. And I've I've said it before on the podcast too like I the Collinwood of the TV show is a place I'd want to live even with all the werewolves and witches and vampires. I still want to live. It, there, there is something safe. Whereas the Collinwood of as much as I love House and Night of Dark Shadows, I don't think I'd want to live in that. <laughs> I'd want to go yeah. see that Collinwood uh, before no. the sun sets. But I don't... <laughs> yeah, and it's and it's also it's 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 also not it's not just living in the place because I agree, but it's also like I want to dance with Carolyn at the Blue Whale. Mm-hmm. I want to flirt with Quentin. Yeah. You know, I want to I want to commiserate with Barnabas when he's melancholy, yeah. because after yeah. a while. And again, this is like the strength of continuing narrative. These people become so familiar to them. They get you get engaged in their lives. Mm-hmm. And in a weird sort of way, they get engaged in your lives, too, because yeah. as questions of ethics and morality and uh, sexuality and and religion and theology are all in dark shadows, yeah. all of them if you open your heart and your mind to them. Yeah. And you carried that over into Penny Dreadful as well. A lot of a lot of what you just described exists in the world of Penny Dreadful too. So but there's mm-hmm. there are definitely uh, I was picking up on a lot of these uh, echoes as I wa- watched it. Um so you mentioned several characters just now. So I want to I want to dive a little bit in into that. Um one one of the messages you sent me uh, was about talking about the marvelous uh, David Hennessy, uh, Thayer David, Nancy Barrett. Let's talk about some of your favorite characters uh, from the show, uh, storylines. Let's dive yeah, into what you, what right. you love. <laughs> what, I, what I love is, you know, when people say, like, where, where should I start Dark Shadows? Mm-hmm. You know, not that people, like, bang them or say that all the time, but people do ask because I talk about yeah. it a lot and I have a Barnabas Collins phone, you know. And, oh, nice. And, uh, and I always say, like, well, really, to truly understand the show, you've got to start with Barnabas coming out of the coffin. Mm-hmm. But even before that, I think you have to watch episode 191, which is the episode where Laura the Phoenix burns and her son is traumatized. And to me, still one of the most frightening things is that screen that David Hennessy does. The absolute terror of that is so true. And then at the end of the show, there's this amazing scene with Victoria Winters and David in Bush, he's tucking him in it, and he and he's hypothetically doesn't remember what happened. But the subtext between those two actors is so subtle about like, that didn't really happen, did it? And she's like, no, but you both know that like, yeah, this trauma is buried deep, even if he doesn't remember it now. And she, I know people sometimes give her and the character a bad rap. And I'm like, watch that scene. This is great acting. So, so I was telling people, watch that episode so you understand the emotional capacity this show can deliver, because it's not going to deliver all the time, you know. 
And then when Barnabas emerges from the coffin, there's things I just love, like Jason McGuire. You know, yeah. Jason McGuire, Dennis Patrick, with a <laughs> almost flawless Irish accent, being Irish myself, you know, his relationship with Willie, Willie's relationship with Barnabas, which which looking back at now, you know, I look at I look at John Carlo with that amazing sort of young Richard Widmark look, and I say, Oh, is this is this a coded queer subtext between these characters? Because Jason McGuire talks about it, you know, mm -hmm. outside the old house. You know, that's interesting. Um but to me, the reason to watch all of that, and of course you have the introduction of Julia, you have the beginning of that relationship, is to do with the central, I think, engine of the show, which is the question of morality. And you, know, you see Julia being manipulated by a brutal Barnabas who I love, you know, and I love when he explores his heroic sides, fighting off the werewolf with the silver-headed cane to protect Carolyn. I love that as well. But there's something about the basic of that character who is so complex and complicated in the questions of good and evil. And it all comes down to the ghost of Sarah. Yes. You know, Nailed Sarah it. comes in, you have that, mm -hmm. you have that amazing, I think recorder London bridge and she comes and she's in, she's in a lot and people see her and they don't see her and people pretend to see her, you know, Carolyn and, and Dr. Hoffman are like having a fight about a love for Barnabas, but, but Sarah keeps coming into episode. Um, I can't remember the episode number, uh, where she finally has the scene with Barnabas. Yes. <clears throat> and it's so climactic because Barnabas is, is one of his most barbaric, bestial behaviors toward Julia, who we love and loves him. And then he finally sees his dead sister's ghost. Yeah. And the scene between them is as good as anything that has ever been on television. And mm. the brilliant, I was Gordon Russell wrote it. Uh, I remember that. And to me, the heart of the entire series is the, the one line. It's what Barnabas used to teach his little sister, the little poem, so she would learn how to read and write. And I wrote down that evil is wicked is well understood. The wicked are punished, so you must be good. Yeah. That's what Dark Shadows is about. And that's why Barnabas Collins is the protagonist. Yes. Because that question lingers through all the characters. Yes. You know, all the way through but it's the central driving mechanism. What are you gonna do in horrible circumstances? How do you respond to Angelique? You know, uh, you know and so, so that's why I say that storyline is the bedrock for what I believe is the, emo the dramaturgical and emotional core of the show. I agree. Uh, you, you, I think you nailed it there. Um, and it's a huge uh, turning point for Barnabas as well. I mean, it's, I, I was just talking with Mary O'Leary um, a couple of days ago. I don't know. Did you watch the Jonathan Frid documentary? Yeah, of course. Yeah. 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 I was just talking with her and she, I told her, um, when we're talking about, um, the scene with that scene with Sarah and the scene yeah. where Sarah dies in 1795. I said, those two scenes always make me cry to this day. I get very emotional watching those scenes and it's fascinating. I think putting Barnabas in a box of he's the good guy. He's the bad guy. He's the protagonist of the show, but Jonathan Frid loved, he always said, I lo liked playing between the two poles. He liked playing those shades of gray. Sometimes Barnabas could be very heroic, but sometimes he could be really dark and do some disturbing things. Um, Monster, yeah, monstrous, monstrous things. Yeah. yeah especially monstrous, early yeah. on, but even, even throughout the series, there are times when Barnabas, right. There's some morally ambiguous things happening, but that that trajectory does happen with all the characters where they 
a lot, like you said, with uh, definitely with Quentin, Angelique too, even ultimately Angelique, because I think Angelique, there's a tendency in spinoff media sometimes, um, licensed media or, or other iterations where Angelique tends to be very one-dimensional, but she wasn't one-dimensional in the series at all. She was a multifaceted. She starts out pretty bad, but she's, you start to, you kind of, you still feel for Angelique throughout the series. Lara Parker was fantastic. But I would, in a really controversial statement, because I love me, my Jonathan Fred, I think Lara Parker, Angelique, is the most complicated character on that show. Not just following her timelines, which are dizzying, but the way she's able to play all those levels of Angelique from absolute venom to absolute love and every gradation between so incredibly honestly. And interesting, you probably, you may know this, but I, I was reminded recently that in Bob Fosse's All That Jazz, a great movie, The Angel of Death, played by Jessica Lange, is named Angelique. Oh, wow. And like, I bet Bob Fosse was at some like sweet charity rehearsal and it was on and that name stayed in his head. That's my, that's my, that's what I'm going to say anyway. I, I bet you're right. I bet you're right. Yeah. That's, that's fantastic. And then you, you, the, the trans character you had in Penny Dreadful, you, you named Angelique. Was that an homage to? Of course. Of oh, course. Cool. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Oh, very cool. Um, it's, um, you, uh, we're just jumping real back to the, uh, that, uh, the, uh, David Hennessy and the, and the, Phoenix mm. storyline that was an, a really innovative idea too. The Dark Shadows yeah. took a uh, the concept of a phoenix from mythology and reimagined that as a hum humanoid being that wants to take her is reborn every, every few decades and, and wants to take her kid into the flames. Yeah, yeah. it's it's like who thought of that? Now I think you know it, the classical antecedents to that I think are Medea. You know yeah. who obviously tried to enact revenge on her children through fire, um, and but to do that in 1960, whatever it was, on daytime television at 3:30 in the afternoon, and to do it so well, yeah, is I, it's mind-boggling to me that that they would do something like that. Yeah, you know, and also, you know, David Hennessy, and that scene also is a counterpoint to what I think is the to me the most chilling scene in the entire series. And it's my favorite storyline, which is which is um, 1897. Oh, I love 1897. Um, That's my favorite. 18, so. I mean, I love uh, 1995. We'll talk about. Oh, we love have to it. talk about yeah. Judah, Judah Zachary's head. Yes. But <laughs> when, when what the other thing I tell people, if they don't like those people who consider black and white a genre and they don't like black and white, you know, and they want to watch something else, weirdly, I don't send them to 1795. I don't send them to the origin story because I'm like, this is like a great musical number at the end of a of a, a Broadway show. You know, and it is to be so enjoyed. It is so operatic. The acting is so great. You know, Naomi and, you know, Joshua are unbelievable characters. They introduce Angelique, but I send them to, to uh, 1897. Same here. To me, that has, a, that has a verve to it. And mm -hmm. it introduces, like, several of my favorite characters. You know, I've, as I've said to you, Count Potofi, if mm -hmm. you said pick a favorite character, is Count Potofi. <laughs> you know, because if I could write a ca character like Count Potofi, I would I would die happy. And interestingly, when I was when I was working on Skyfall, and I was thinking about Silva, you know, the villain character. I thought back to uh, I thought back to Count Potofi and his relationship with Aristide, you know, which was so bizarre. Like my boy, and I'm like, what's going <laughs> on here? And the missing hand. So there was a certain amount of 
uh, physical handicap thing. So I went back to my, my very favorite character, you know, Count Patafi, and just the notion of that box open and there's a severed hand in it. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's what I began to think. They're literally writing this show for me, for like John <laughs> Logan in San Pedro, California, on Mantis <laughs> Avenue. They're writing the show to me. You know, Victor Fenn Gibbon, Count Patofi, you know, Magda, anything with Nicholas Blair, I oh, love the yeah. pieces, you know, because, because you know, Humbert Alan Estrado, one of those actors, and there's different kinds of actors as well, you know, you know, who just delights in performing. Yeah. And he inspires such confidence, doesn't he? You know, when Nicholas Blair walks in with the hat and the gloves and the eyeshadow, I was like, damn, that is an actor who knows what he's doing and loves to do it. Yeah. You know, and and so so to me, that's the storyline that I love the most. And that the, you know, there's Quentin, Quentin Zombie, which I think is terrifying, crawling yeah. toward the grave. I yes. think I think David Shelby is outstanding in the show. But the moment is episode 801, 802. And it's when Count Patofi sort of passes the curse on to Jameson, to David oh, I Hennessy. Love, I love that. Yes. <laughs> and it's that little kiss, that little kiss passing yeah. on a, a sort of curse of honesty and despair through a kiss. Yeah. It was so chilling to me, so wrong in every way. Yeah. And they played it exclusively. And then David Hennessy doing Count Patofi, doing Thayer David, doing Brilliant. Count Patofi. Extraordinary. So like, like sometimes I just think David Hennessy doesn't get the love he needs to get from yeah. us. Oh, agreed. I totally agree. And I, I, one of my favorite scenes from that sequence um, involves Louis Edmonds, who is also wonderful. Uh, Always. Yeah, Louis Edmonds as Edward and James and uh, David Hennessy as Jameson possessed by Count Patofi, and he's going to drink some brandy. And, and Louis Edmonds thro throws a fit. <laughs> what are you doing? And then, um, and then he goes and drinks something goes he goes to drink yeah. something else and edward is upset about it. He says, mineral water good for the digestion <laughs> i know and this again again all praise to louis edmonds because oh. he's another one of those actors that every time he enters where it's roger or joshua or edward yeah. you know i get excited because yes. on one hand he could be incredibly witty and wry and i'm like he just wandered in from design for living and i love it he should wear a smoking jacket on the other hand, he could break your heart. To me, yeah. 1795 is the tragedy of Joshua. Yeah. And where and you know, and Naomi, but where they where where he's how he's able to chart that as a performer is absolutely extraordinary to me. And you know, another reason, by the way, I think it's so important that people watch, if they can, from Barnabas coming out of the coffin, is the amazing scene where uh Roger Collins talks about what it was like to grow up in Collinswood and he thinks about those portraits, yeah, you know, haunting him. And you get an insight into him that will explain so much about his relationship with his son and with the world around him. Of course, he put up a brittle exterior yeah. to protect himself. And, you know, David Hennessy doesn't have that protection around him, mm -hmm. you know, and will probably end up being a happier character, you know, than yeah. Roger was. But I think I think Lou Edmonds is extra. I love his Edward. I love his Edward mustache. <laughs> you know, I love, I love, you know, Amadeus and particularly Brutus, where it's like oh, Lou yeah. had been playing a, like a pirate, essentially, <laughs> you know, and again, the, the range of those actors, the range of those actors uh, oh, is yeah. astounding to me. I mean, yeah. uh, you call, you meant, you know, talking about Count Patofi, I mean, they are David, every role, I mean, a lot of them were very distinct, um, but some were similar but like evil like you have matthew morgan who's like kind of the bad then you have ben who's like kind of yeah. the good version of matthew morgan and then you have 
something that's totally different with Professor Stokes, who's very, very much a kind of a Van Helsing kind of sage, yeah. occult scholar, uh, but very witty also, you yeah. know. Walk, walking around looking at your antiques, seeing if you're right. you know, it's like, who, who does that? That's amazing. Oh, no. go, go, go T. Elliot Stokes. I Fantastic. Say. And uh, Nancy Barrett, too, who I feel also oh. deserves a lot of credit because she was such a versatile character actress, you know. I mean, she just would take on yeah. these really fascinating roles. I mean, her, her car parallel time, Carolyn, you know, that kind of who's afraid of Virginia Woolf thing they were doing oh. with with uh, William Holland's head Loomis and Carolyn Loomis. Yeah. And she was amazing and, and that was heartbreaking. Extraordinary. I, I think that the secret weapons of Dark Shadows are Thayer David and Nancy Barrett. Agree. Because, yeah. you know, if you look at Carolyn all the way through, and I love I love the real time characters very much, you know, and the, the way she's able to play silly, foolish, bitchy, you know, completely honestly, heartbroken you know carolyn loomis as you say it's like oh she's had one too many gin rickies and what yeah. is that what is that doing to the, the the character we love and then millicent comes on you know in, yeah. in 1795 and i'm like how can she do that her whole body is different the way she moves yeah. her head is different her voice is different and then there's pansy Fay. yes and <laughs> and my two favorite sequences from house of dark shadows which i adore and watch way too often are, are Carolyn sequences. It's the scene with David in the pool house, you know, and in the terrifying, pool, which is super terrifying. Scary. And then the staking. And I think yeah. the staking of, of Carolyn in House of Dark Shadows is to me the single best killing of a vampire I've ever seen. The special effects yeah. aren't the best, but it's harrowing in the way killing anything should be, you know, mm -hmm. to communicate, to, to mean something to an audience. So, you know, Nancy Barrett, hat off to you for for all those years, all those characters, each one of them subtle and true. We, we haven't talked a, a whole lot yet about about the movie. So did you go, did you go see uh, House and Night of Dark Shadows in the theater? Yeah, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did e eagerly and many times. And I, <laughs> I have the iPad I, I travel with. I have I have about 10 seasons of Dark Shadows and both the movies always, mm. you know. And uh, House of Dark Shadows, I think, is magnificent. I think it's a magnificent movie. I love the fact that Dan Curtis used that camera like a feral animal moving mm -hmm. around those sets because there's such verve and energy to it. And do all the trick shots work? No, of course not. But God love him for trying. You know, I don't, you know, because the series, as you know, they had those cameras, which were as big as dinosaurs. They're yeah. trying to move around from set to set quickly and not run over the cables or the boom guy. And suddenly he had the freedom to be, have verve to the storytelling. And he went for it fully, like Dark Shadows always does. And I love the fact it's bloody. Why not? It's different. It's not, that's not going to kill Dark Shadows. It's just very different, yeah. you know? And I love the fact that Barnabas is, is complicated and brutal as well as romantic and seeing the sun for the first time, walking with, with the great Catherine Lee Scott. Um, I love that movie. I, 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 I can watch it endlessly because I, I love, there's the music cue I know, there's the, oh, look who's there, you know, just at the funeral scene, you know, so yeah. it's for a fan, it's good, but also for a horror genre fan for when it came out and what it meant to American cinema as opposed to Hammer cinema, I think it was staking a claim to, to something new and, and exciting. Um, and I understand why fans don't like it. I understand why- A lot they... of fans like it, but a lot, some don't because it's too- 
I mean, a lot of more fans dislike Night of Dark Shadows, I would say, than than right. House. But there are fans who don't like House of Dark Shadows because it's more yeah. Jonathan didn't like uh, House. Of, I, I love House of Dark Shadows and Night of Dark Shadows, actually. But yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, as do I, as do I. And I think Night of Dark Shadows gets the bummest rap of anything in Dark Shadows, including mm -hmm. the Ben Cross series, including the Alec Newman, you know, potential. I think it's the worst rap. Because clearly, you know, Dan Curtis was doing something different. You know, he want he did something very autumnal, and suddenly mm -hmm. it's you're you're it's like watching an art film or a European film, and it and it takes its time to develop its themes. You know, and if you're impatient, like James Aubrey from the studio was, and said, "I'm not going to sit here for two hours and twenty minutes, cut half of it out, cut forty minutes out, do it, butcher the thing." then you're going to hate that movie. Yeah. But if you listen to that opening score, the theme, and you watch the car and the rain starts and they put up that that's the movie and you're in. Yeah. And within that, it has Carlotta, which is out Danvers, Mrs. Danvers, as far as yeah. I'm concerned. It's a great performance. It's got Nancy Barrett and John Carlin as really interesting characters, you know, and at the center, it has David Selby and, and Kate Jackson. And, and Kate Jackson is, is another one, I think, probably doesn't get the love she should uh, for what she did for Dark Shadows and what she brought to it. Yeah. You know, when 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 Daphne and Gerard are introduced, you know, I personally find them more frightening than Quentin as a ghost because there's something about her when she's, before she becomes like a, a sympathetic character that's so terrifying about yeah. her bone structure and the way she looks. And James Storm, I adore. Yeah. Um, when, when I was a kid, I probably didn't understand why I adored him quite so much. Now I do more, um, you know. <laughs> It's so powerful together. And the fact that she had a regional accent, I I find so refreshing in that show that you you got traces of the Alabama, was it? Or you get you get traces of her yeah. accent. Yeah. And I love that. I love the fact that it's not another sort of New York trained actor, although she was delivering the standard Dark Shadows speak. Yeah. Um and I and and she is the center of, of Night of Dark Shadows, as you know. It's it yeah. is Tracy's story. You yes. know, and I find it very compelling. I I hope desperately we get to see the complete version sometime. Same here. Um, I've had Darren Gross on the podcast, who's been for a long time spearheading the uh, yeah. restoration. He found lost footage. Uh, he's redubbed the audio. He still needs to do a, a, a few more things, but it's going to take Warner Brothers ponying up some money to to actually make it happen to put it out, uh, and that's that's the problem is Warner Warner's doesn't seem to really be all that interested in doing that right now. But I'm yeah. I'm hopeful that it'll, I mean we're all kind of waiting for this thing to happen. Um, they still need yeah. to redub Grayson. I don't know if they would do that now with AI technology or how how. I mean, oh they, wow! Yeah, they, because, that, they probably could. Yeah, they probably could. I mean, wow. I wa I was I watched some of those um, Star Wars shows on uh, Disney Plus, and they had mm. Darth uh, Darth Vader in one of them. And I said, "Oh wow, James Earl Jones came back to voice Darth Vader." No, it was they did it. They sampled his voice and did it. He gave them permission to do it, and they yeah. they did Darth Vader, but it sounded like him. Uh, so they probably yeah. could do that with with Grayson. I I would imagine because um, she has such a distinct voice. I know Darren had yeah. said when she was still alive, they were thinking of Eileen Brennan 
possibly to, to do yeah. she would have been good yeah. too but oh yeah yeah but they, they could do it with ai um you mentioned you know gerard and, and daphne uh 1995 you mentioned earlier too as one of oh. your favorites yeah great storyline oh, a great short great book. story so cool. uh, yeah and, and and the fact that it was short probably helped it in a way but uh, when when we see collinwood destroyed mm -hmm. it's so emotional for me yeah because oh, I lived, I love that house. I've lived in that house. You know, I have pictures of the house all over my house, you know, <laughs> and to see it. And they did such a great job in destroying it. They really went for it. It wasn't like, well, we're going to, we're going to put a picture. We have a damn tree in the middle of the house. Everything's falling to pieces. It was so visceral and so mm -hmm. beautifully done and, and presented the apocalyptic question, which is like, it's all over. Can we stop this? Yeah. You know, and, and whenever you go into the past, whether it's the eye chain or a stairway through time, you know, or the magic secret number of the universe or an <laughs> herb, and you have a mission. Even if you forget the mission, well, I think it's very compelling. And, you know, 1995 for me is, is so provocative because it, it makes you ask all those questions that we ask now. Like, well, what happened to Carolyn? What happened to Roger and Elizabeth? What happened to David? You know, yeah. and you get to see some of that answer, how they answered some of those questions. And, it's, and Carolyn, again, Nancy Barra is so heartbreaking. Oh, you know, yeah. In that, in that storyline. And of course, you have the great supernatural element, the sort of redo of Turn of the Screw with mm -hmm. with, you know, Gerard, which is fantastic. Uh, I, I find that find that all, when I get to that in the series, I always get very excited. You know, yeah. one of those moments I'm like, who thought to do this, number one, and how do they do it so well? And one of the challenges to writers like me is like, how do they do this so well? Not even how do they do this so well day after day after day after day for years, but how do they come up with that idea that's so fresh, yeah. you know, and so original? I I love that to pieces, oh, yeah, and I it will. eventually you know leads us to other great storylines. So you know into into Judah Zachary's head, which yeah, you can't touch you can't touch in terms of greatness for me. Oh, <laughs> I love yeah. I love the head of Judah Zachary. I love. Um, when we go to summer 1970, which they're they're doing elements of turn of the for sure of turn of the screw, but also beckoning yeah. fair one with, um, uh, you know Quentin being in love with the ghost of Daphne, and like you said, there was yeah. a malevolent uh aspect to Daphne. She was we weren't sure where, you know, if she was good or evil or or what, but you know, as we find out, as we, she becomes more sympathetic. But at first, she's you know she's hugging Quentin and holding the dagger behind him and yes. you know so yes um they're there but they were they were doing some interesting things there and I'm I'm sure that the vampire Roxanne was probably a nod to to Carmilla as well I mean it wasn't the of same course. story yeah. as Carmilla but it was kind yeah. of a nod to that um but then we get to 1840 and it's I think they yeah. kind of changed gears and like let's do something different so Gerardo ends up being possessed by Judah Zachary, but I loved the whole head of Judah Zachary thing. And the, the, the fact that they were doing the thing that couldn't die on Dark Shadows. Yeah, after, after, you, after you talked about that on your podcast, I like got the movie, ordered the DVD, and I watched it because Judah Zachary, the head of Judah Zachary is truly one of my favorite things in life. That they did that and did it so well. And I watched that movie and I'm like, it's exactly Judah Zachary's head, the warlock. And that movie... For, for I don't they shot him probably six days. It's really good. It, it is really good, has yeah. like freaky stuff. The guy who plays the the sort of warlock, the pirate warlock, is, is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, another thing about sort of the the is is Chris Panic. Let's talk a little bit about oh, Chris Panic. Chris Panic. Panic. Yes. Me me too. And when when Chris Panic enters, when well, first of all, the Leviathan storyline is is I know people don't like it. 
I love it. Same, same. (laughs) I love it. Because to me, any Dark Shadows is better than no Dark Shadows, whether (laughs) it's a comic book, a Ross novel, or any, even if it's Bramwell, any storyline is better than not having it. What else are you going to fill that with? There's a space yeah. in your heart that needs to be filled with dark shadows, <laughs> and and the the parallel time for me. I mean, not parallel time. The Leviathans for me. One of the things I find most frightening, and maybe it's just me, is the sound of that breathing. Yes, you know. Yes, I think it's whoever did that did that really well. And the only sort of oral clue that matches it is the wolves outside the window. Yeah, you know, in in, in Maggie's bedroom. It's like that is terrifying just to hear and imagine. Yeah, you know, and then. Chris Penna comes in and you suddenly say, we're in 1970. This is a modern show. Yeah. You know, because he has this modern energy to him. He's got blonde ringlets, you know, and then he's Sebastian Shaw, even more modern. Yeah. So I think that injected a really good jolt of sort of contemporary 1970 energy into sort of our, our beautiful gothic world in a way, as did the women's fashion and various things. But mm-hmm. but yeah, I always I always am delighted when when Chris Pennock enters. And I personally think the two kids who play the various stages getting up to him are terrifying. Yeah. Uh terrifying. And they the, are you know agree. Yeah. Haunt, haunted children. Go go back to the innocence. It's you know, all it's, it's always scary. Even David earlier on when he was kind of the bad seed you know, don't yeah. like locking. What did, what, did, what did Roger call him? A an incipient psychopath. psychopath. <laughs> <laughs> Again, if I could write a line like that, I'd be so happy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a great line. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I really like Leviathans. I think the audience just wasn't ready for that. I, I don't know if it's because they weren't familiar with uh, the works of H.P. Lovecraft, but a lot of people probably weren't. Uh, And Dan Curtis, you know, read the Dunwich Horror and he wanted to do that. Um, And I thought it was cool. Also, people were turned off by, I think, Barnabas being really cold. I mean, Barnabas always did do bad things, but he was passionate, but he was very cold and he was under the control of this other force so i think fans did not react well to that but to this day a lot a lot of fans don't don't like the leviathans i i really like leviathans i i love every dark shadow storyline on it it's difficult for me to say i don't like this storyline but everybody has their favorites i mean there's some i like more than others but um are there any that are not as as much your your favorites i guess you know there there are certain storylines that and it's nothing to do with the writing or the acting Mm -hmm. or the directing it's like the adam storyline for me uh, is not as engaging as I wish, I wish it were for me. Again, it's nothing to do with Robert Rodin. It has to do with me and my feelings about the Frankenstein creature and, and that storytelling. However, when Eve enters, I am all in. Yeah, you know, she's great. Marie, yeah. Marie Wallace, you have to be all in. Because yeah. she will give you no choice. Much like Grayson yeah. Hall, she will give you no choice but to believe. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that storyline... I always get a little impatient with because mm-hmm. it's, you know, people are locked up a lot. It's like versus Carolyn, then it's Vicky. Um, so I don't get so engaged with that. You know, and there are moments in, in you know, Bramwell and Catherine, you know, as much as I love the lottery aspect of it yeah. and I love Brutus Collins and I love, you know, there are moments in that I was like, I, they're not my particular favorites. Yeah. Oh, here's a, here's a question about the Leviathans for you. Do you think part of the reason people didn't and don't respond to it is because the show is showing vampires and werewolves and ghosts and this was something that we didn't see? Do you think that's one of the reasons that people don't respond to it? It wasn't a, a readily recognizable horror creature. Yes, I think so. That's what that's that's kind of what I guess what I meant when I about people not being familiar with the works of H.P. Lovecraft is they they didn't yeah. know what that was. Like they couldn't they didn't 
like vampires, werewolves, ghosts, witches. Everybody yeah. knows what those are, but who knows what this is? This the this unseen monster that that, that and what is this yeah. eldritch race that's that one, right. once held sway over the earth? And um, I think that's yeah. probably why they had to put it in some kind of content, have them in league somehow with or under the under the power of Diablos, you know, with Nicholas Blair as sort of yeah. being called in to kind of write the course there. I think it's so that they could put it so that the audience could understand what was going on or put it in some kind of context that they would understand. I suspect that was part of it. Um, I loved, uh, I mean, I thought it, I agree with you. The breathing was just so creepy. It's that terror versus yeah. horror thing. It's like, what is Yes. What do you think it looked like though? Like I did want to see it. I remember when I watched, I was a teenager by the time I watched Leviathans, but I remember wishing I could see what it looked like. What do you have any thoughts on what well you what know, it looks like? I, I, I would like to one day to be mature enough to not care what it looks like, but every time <laughs> I'm like, oh, Paul Stoddard, camera go there. You know, just, I, you <laughs> just have that. I'm like, you know, it's it's you know, in in my head, I think. It's sort of like the electrical monster from Forbidden Planet. It's animated, or it's something, uh, something oh, not the usual. We're just we're just filming something, yeah. and I think the snake, like the Naga box, the snakes, the heads, Medusa e, mm -hmm. uh, but not but animated or some special effect. Even it's not a person or not yeah. you know the way they sometimes did the bats. Not not incredibly well necessarily, but but they did something abstract in terms of presenting something real, yeah. which I thought was great. But you know, the other thing I, I always think about Leviathan is is when people get frustrated. And I have friends who love Dark Shadows. And we talk about it, obviously. Mm -hmm. You know, and they and they get frustrated. I'm like, well, you know, there's a reason that the Greeks didn't put the violence on stage. You know, yeah. when Clytemnestra kills Agamemnon in the bathtub, it's off stage. And the idea being that what the audience will imagine is better than any stagecraft we can produce. It will be more. Yeah. There will be more terror or horror. You know, in terms yeah. of in terms of viscera and blood then we can we have the capacity to make so therefore we'll do it off stage yeah. um so that tradition runs you know long and long and hard it's not it's not embraced nowadays because i think that our current desire for sensationalism and to be to be entertained every 15 seconds by something precludes the idea necessarily of a movie like the innocence mm, i love the innocence yeah <laughs> i love the innocence and yeah. practically nothing happens but it's terrifying just the way it's the way that story is told, the way it's the way it's filmed and shot, you know, but you don't see horrific anything, you know. Right. I have a framed poster of the innocence in, in this room oh. on the on the other side there. And I love I love the scene with um uh that scene with uh Miles in front of the window and the rain's coming down and, oh. and the ghost of Peter Quint is laughing and Miles oh. is laughing too. And they did that in Dark Shadows too. Well, Innocence is turn of the yeah. screw for those who haven't well, watched it or read it, but it's, yeah, I, they kind of, they didn't do it with the window, but David's laughing yeah. in his bed and yeah. you hear Quentin laughing yeah. in the house, his laughter echoing yeah. and Elizabeth it's, is just standing there. Yeah, it's such a chilling yeah. scene to this day. It's so chilling. I, I literally just got chills when you were describing it. And the other thing about the Innocence is, is that kiss between the boy yeah. and Deborah Kerr is yeah. is like a little a little Jameson Count Potofi yeah. Jameson passing on through a curse something that's it's loving but it's really disturbing through mm -hmm. a kiss you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um when you, you mentioned uh 1841 parallel time in the lottery and all I I really like it but I it's mm. for me I just wish we had some connection to the main 
time yeah. band that some character in that like how barnabas went into the yeah. parallel time in 1970 and julia did too i mean the idea that they brought in a parallel universe parallel universes into dark shadows is wild that they did that at, at all that again another yeah. crazy thing. i mean they did it in star trek too they did a parallel universe right. with sci-fi show you don't expect yeah. dark shadows that they're going to have but they did that um yeah. in 1841 i just wish we had some tether to the primary time band i think that's part yeah. of also why fans kind of don't connect with it as much yeah I, I agree it's it's you know because we we have fallen in love with those real world characters who are like us in the real world mm -hmm. so seeing them in an alien situation you know makes us uncomfortable because we're mm -hmm. we're in that alien situation so I, I i yeah i'm sorry about that it's a good it's a good moment to talk about mitch ryan oh yes oh because yeah. because, because it has to do with casting as well and recasting and who's who's because that they have a repertory company and when mitch ryan left the show as burke devlin i think the show lost something Great. for me yeah because i love love burke devlin one of my favorite characters and again no disrespect to the other actor whatsoever but a different energy a different dna that wasn't to me as engaging you know even as even as jeremiah i just it just i didn't connect with that character and i kept thinking oh my god if mitch ryan we're doing this with Jonathan Frid. This scene would be the most thrilling thing yeah. in the world. And, you know, 1841 parallel time, I feel a bit of that as well. A bit like, oh, I wish maybe a different actor had been playing that part. Maybe I'd be more comfortable with that. You know, maybe that a uh, character I knew or an actor I knew would make that more accessible to me right. or more, more homey in a way. I, I mean, Anthony George, I, I like, I did like him as Jeremiah. I I think Mitch Ryan as Jeremiah, I think he would have been fantastic, but it would have been a very different Jeremiah. I don't think he would have been as, I think there would have been uh, an edge, a much harder edge to that Jeremiah. Um, I love, but I would have been fascinating. He was a, an amazing actor. Uh, and it, actor. I, I do agree with you that Dark Shadows lost something uh, when, when he left the show. He was fantastic. Yeah. It's such a shame, now, but. Let me, let me ask you, in, in mm -hmm. 1795, one of the things in the revival series, which I liked for a lot of reasons, you know, mm -hmm. um, is, is Barnabas and Jeremiah being brothers, you know, with, mm -hmm. with Andrew Paul. I thought that was brilliant. Mm -hmm. You know, I thought that was a real innovation and I, I understand why they didn't do it, but don't you think that would have been more compelling in our, you know, sort of our dark shadows? Yeah, I think, I, yeah. I think so because I mean, it just, it's, uh, it feels more personal um, when, yeah. when the betrayal happens with, well, thanks to Angelique with, with uh, Josette, um, that his brother is the one who, versus his uncle um so yes i mean i think it's still effective in the original show but i know i i'm sure that's why they they altered it you know for the for the revival Catherine lee scott too speaking of josette uh she was oh. wonderful too and you you've met her before haven't you i have i've met i've met two dark shadows people in my life i lara parker signed a picture for me years oh. ago at an autographing thing which i still have over my desk <laughs> it was one of, the, one of the vampire pictures and I met I met Catherine because I sent her sort of a fan letter, uh -huh. you know. She responded. And we communicated. Then I went to Lindhurst, you know, to oh. and I met her at the at the thing that she did there last year, and it was it was fantastic talking to her because she's she's another one of the I think unsung heroes of Dark yeah. Shadows is Catherine mm -hmm. Scott, not just for what she's done to keep the flame alive so vibrantly, but for her performance. You know, yeah. it's hard to be the moral center who has to go through so much. But when she's imprisoned by Barnabas, I believe her anguish. I believe every yeah. second of it. 
when she's tormented in 1795 at the death of one husband, then of Barnabas. And I believe that entirely, you know, and and her Kitty Hampshire, uh, I think, is one <laughs> of the great performances that I, I love so much that she got to do that as well. You know, again, again, a subtle actor, a subtle actor, not playing naturalism like Nancy Barrett, not playing naturalism, but playing completely believable. Yeah, she's a very skilled actress. I was at that Lindhurst event too. I must, we must have gone oh. on different days. Yeah, I, oh, I yeah, no. yeah. I, um, I went, um, I went down there and I met her and Marie Wallace, um, and uh, just so wonderful. They were both so so nice. Uh, I had a great time talking yeah. with both of them. Uh, I've I've had them both on the podcast before too. I have to bring Catherine back on for a solo episode at some point because I would love to. I chatted with her when they about the uh, Christmas Carol event that they did with the yeah. with the whole cast on online, yeah. which was really fun. Um, jumping back to uh, 1897, that's that's also where I tell people who are maybe having a hard time with the earlier episodes to jump in um, because 1897 is very colorful. It's very vibrant and it's it's it moves a little faster. There's a there's I I mean I give them some background on what's happened before then. Um, but it, it's it is epic when I say well start with episode seven hundred. They're like episode seven hundred. <laughs> what about the first seven hundred episodes? I said, well, yeah. those are important too. But if you really yeah. want to get hooked, I think eighteen ninety seven is the way to do it. Yeah, I agree. It's you know it's like seventeen ninety five is grand opera mm -hmm. and eighteen ninety seven is operetta in a yeah. great way. Mm -hmm. You know, and again, it, it, there's there's so much going on in that storyline and you get things like and here's a werewolf and mm -hmm. here's a zombie and here's a vampire and here's a warlock with a hand. And it, it's so imaginative. It's like it's like the genie has opened the bottle and spilled it all on, on the table. Yeah. And if you respond to that, you know, you're going to love the rest of the series, you know, because, yeah. again, as you say, very colorful, very fast moving. And you know, you start with with Magda, Magda, Magda. Magda, oh, I love Magda. Oh my Magda. god! And Magda and Sandor are so yes. loving. Yes, they're like playful and loving and wicked all at the same time. I, yeah. you know, it's it's a it's a magnificent. Whenever I get to that point, I sort of my my heart sort of fills because I know some of my favorite stuffs coming up. Yeah, I lo I love Magda and Sandor. They're 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 always you know ribbing each other or you know getting on each other's yeah. nerves but they love each other they're an old married couple they're just they're so yeah they're sweet to watch and it's heartbreaking and there's no never a happy ending for these which maggie and joe i love maggie and joe they're just a, such a sweet couple yeah. and it's like oh this, this yeah. the intrusion of the supernatural into their yeah. lives just destroyed yeah, that's <laughs> that's so in, that's so interesting because you know in you know you know in classic theater there's comedy and their tragedy and comedy is when characters get they're just rewards for their choices and tragedies when they don't. And like, is Dark Shadows a comedy or a tragedy? Because very little ends happily. You know, mm -hmm. I actually love the little tag at the end of, in the last episode because it gives me a little hope. At mm -hmm. least Nancy Barrett and John Carlin are having this thing and maybe it wasn't a vampire. So it, it and that's important because because so many of the characters end in a really dreadful way in a really mm -hmm. dire way. Um, you know, even now when I watch, honestly, when I watch Night of Dark Shadows, I, I stop it before that final credit roll. Oh um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it's so, it's so, you know, the, the movie is profoundly, um, melancholy and tragic enough just in, in Tracy and Quentin's story, 
But then to have that sort of thrown in as, oh, and by the way, these other characters who had some hope and a great life ahead of them yeah. and were writers, you know, they died too with they a disbelieving car. So it's like, it's like yeah. that, that, that evil continues, you know? And it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of a profound question of Dark Shadows, I think. Comedy or tragedy, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I, again, I mean, I wanted, I wanted my friend uh, Eric Marshall, when I, when I told him that you, I was going to be interviewing and that he designed the logo for the, for the podcast, he's a oh. brilliant artist. Yeah. And uh, he, he says uh, to tell you, Rory Kinnear was the ultimate art audience surrogate in that last shot of season three, staring in disbelief at Vanessa's grave. Dang, but that hurt. <laughs> Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That was that was that was uh, that was intended to be a tragedy. You know, it's like I started Penny Dreadful uh, with that character. Mm -hmm. You know, she she was going to be my Victoria Winters, my Barnabas Collins. You know, Mm -hmm. however you choose to say, I knew that was my protagonist. You know, because I wanted to write about a woman in Victorian society who was literally and figuratively corseted. You know, and was tormented and had demons, but was was the hero, much Mm -hmm. like Barnabas Collins. You know, and Barnabas Collins played in my head a lot when I was creating uh ava green's character you know and ava came became sort of a muse for me you know and we worked so closely together and i knew i wanted to end the show and i knew i wanted to write the end you know and finish that story and the first person i cast in the show was rory kinnear who plays the creature and he's a he great actor amazing I'd, yeah right and I'd, I'd work with him on you know the two bond films i'd seen him you know on stage a lot so that's i built the show around rory saying mm-hmm. like every actor who steps on this soundstage needs to have that capacity. Yeah. Um, so it took forever to cast, you know, but, but I knew I wanted to end with that character, with those two characters, even with one of them in the ground as the ending to that particular tragedy. And that, in that final season too, you had, uh, you've introduced uh, Dr. Jekyll, uh, which another, yeah. I loved Christopher Pennock as Cyrus Longworth and John Yeager. Yeah. Not everyone will agree with that. I, I thought he was yeah. well, perfect play this crazy Hyde character of course it has to be Christopher Fennec uh from that group of actors um was was were you uh, and and when you had Dr. Jekyll and Penny Dreadful though it was a different um it was more of a symbolic he takes on the title of Hyde versus were were you going to have him transform into Hyde literally at some point Yes, I was I was thinking about that, you know, mm-hmm. but but it's like the, the character that I was I was very, very much wanted to introduce was Dr. Moreau. Oh, yeah. But oh, he would have been cool, the, yeah. the island of, of Dr. Yeah. Moreau wasn't it wasn't in the public domain. I couldn't oh, get the I rights see. to it. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, Dr. Jekyll works. And I love and, you know, the, the Jack Palance, Dr. Jekyll. Oh, I love great. You know? Oh, yeah. Dan Curtis. Then, another Dan Curtis production. So good. Yeah. yeah. And, it's weird. I didn't hear that till years later. And I was like, that's the music from House of Dark Shadows. You know, it's like <laughs> yeah. hearing the music, the music cue was great. I also think, by the way, just as a complete sidebar, that Jack Palance's Dracula is my favorite Dracula ever. Oh, really? Because wow. Of, because of how feral he is. So yeah. so Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde is obviously the one of the great myths. It wasn't, as you know, it was an episodic thing, just like yeah. just like Dark Shadows, just when it was yeah. when Robbie Louis Stevenson wrote it. Uh, and it was it, it was fun for me to be more overt about literary references because I could have Dorian Gray as a character, not yeah. as a theme. I could have Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde as a character because they were all available. And that, mm-hmm. that was the whole conceit of the show, which is like, let's take these, you know, great mythic literary characters and put them with a bunch of fictional characters, yeah. which is exactly what Dark Shadows do, which I, I have always acknowledged that's like Dan Curtis, Art Wallace, Sam Hall, Violet Wells, all the actors they took great myths of literature 
you know, of, of, of terror literature, Gothic literature, or however you want to find it. And they put them in a modern context, yeah. you know, and I said, that's exactly what I want to do with literary figures. Mm-hmm. Is there, um, in Dark Shadows, uh, is there any horror uh, archetype or tale that you would have enjoyed seeing them incorporate into the show that they didn't do? Yeah, without a doubt, The Mummy. Because, the Mummy, same here. Yeah. When, yeah, when I was, the Universal movies, the only ones that weirdly actually scared me were the Mummy movies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I was genuinely terrified you know, the first one, yes, with the black eyes, but then the Lon Chaney, the four Lon Chaney movies, mm-hmm. those terrified me, Harris, you know, yeah. and, and yes, Karis, yes, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, I think it's one of the best Dan Ross novels is, it is. the one yeah. about the mummy's curse. And, and so I would have loved to have seen what they would have done with a mummy. Same there, there, there are rumors that they were going to do that, that the word that they had proposed the idea and they were going to do it. And then Dan Curtis didn't want to do it. I, I don't know if there's any truth to that, um, but it's um, something I would have enjoyed seeing. And I always reference uh, the story lot number 249 by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle too, which they just adapted for the uh, BBC's um, uh, ghost story for Christmas. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, they yeah. did an adaptation of that story. It's a short story by Doyle, and it's I think it would have worked well if they had incorporated that into Dark Shadows with elements of the Karras films and the Karloff. They could have then worked the Karloff film into it as well, uh, which they yeah. did with Barnabas too. Oh, That's another thing. Absolutely. They, that went into Barnabas. Barnabas, Barnabas, Barnabas has many Josettes. Yes, it's 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 Imhotep. Yeah, it's it's the first mummy movie for sure. Um, I I agree. Um, and I, I mean, there's so, I, I always when they always when the writers in those interviews and Dan Curtis say, "Oh, we just ran out of ideas." No, you didn't. You guys didn't. There's no. You could have kept going. They were just burned out, yeah. which I get. Yeah. I mean, and Dan Curtis wanted to go to Hollywood and and do he wanted yeah. to do movies, and I get it. Uh, and Fred yeah. didn't want to do Night of Dark Shadows, so that was a whole to do yeah. there. So, yeah. um, unfortunately. It would have been interesting to see what they could have what they could have done. Um, what about uh, collectibles? Now you have you've sent me some pictures of your collection, which I will put up for the YouTube uh, version of this yeah. episode. For those who prefer the video version, you can see some pictures of of uh, John's collection here. You've been collecting Dark Shadows merchandise for quite a while. So, what are your some of your favorite collectibles? And what were some of the ones you picked up when you were a kid and now? There's, I have I have way way too many, you know. It's just, <laughs> because because some of them are original, some of them are from like fifty years ago, like uh, you know, like the original, the comic books. All of those are so original I had, and you know, I moved a lot, you know, in my youth, as I told you. So things got lost, things got given away, but I've gradually I've kept at it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like when a box arrives, you know, my husband always says, "Oh, you got another box from Collinsport." I'm like, okay, yes, I know, I know I did. Thank you. Uh, you know, and so there, there are things I really treasure. I have some signed pictures of the cast, which I love to pieces. I have the Barnabas mask, you know, the, the sort of Halloween mask, which I love. Um, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot that it's, and, but and it, it began in earnest, like when, we, when the writers won strike last year, uh, a righteous strike that we needed to do, but, but all screenwriters suddenly, you know, I had theater work to work on and, but, but suddenly had all this time. So what I did was I started with episode one and I, would, I just deep dived into Dark Shadows all the way through. And then when I was on the picket line, I would listen to Catherine Lee Scott's amazing audiobooks too. So it was a very deep dive. And then I started so actively, actively collecting real rarities as much as I could, mm-hmm. you know, um, 
at the beginning of the strike, which mm. thank goodness is over. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and did you what what kind of things did you did you acquire? Um... I, I got them. I got the models that were already made and painted. Because oh, great. that was that that was never my skill. Same. You That's know, what I buy. Painted. I buy them pre-made. Yes. <laughs> as much as I try, as much as God know, I tried with the Aurora models. I tried with Barnabas and and Chris Jennings. It was it was it was a failure. So those are because they were uh, sort of the holy grail when I was a kid, and I can never do them. Those are probably my favorites. Mm -hmm. The having those like actually done and painted. I don't have Josette's music box, mm -hmm. you know, which I know you do. So I'm very I, jealous. Yeah, uh, <laughs> have, yeah, yeah back I, there. In a little, little yeah, little and, case. I, and I actually, and I had, I had actually a few things made, uh, oh. like images that I loved, you know, from like the press kit and things like that that weren't were never released. It brings me so much joy. It just brings me joy. It gives me joy to walk into my room and look at the stuff and rearrange it. And like, oh, I'm going to put the cards, all the trading cards here now. And I'm going to put them in different boxes with different cards in front. It just, it's, it's like in a very hectic world, which we yeah. live in right now. And, and I'm very busy with my work. It's nice to have not only a place I can sit and revisit something that was so important to me as a piece of television or a piece of cinema, but also go to a place where I can touch a bit of myself 50 years ago and yeah. saying, 50 years ago, you took your bike down Mantis Avenue to the 7-Eleven and you bought this because it was important to you and you didn't have any money, but it was important enough for you to buy and it was important enough for you to save for 50 years. You know, And that's that's important to me to, to remember that kid who yeah. fell in love with, with, what, with what imagination can be. And that's, that's the great lesson of Dark Shadows is it is an imaginative world. Anything yeah. is possible. Parallel time is possible. Time is fungible. You can come back from the dead. You could dance with Carolyn the Blue Whale. You can you can flirt with Quentin. Anything is possible in that world, and that's so, so it makes my heart soar. I love that Dark Shadows is kind of your go-to. Like you can go into that bubble to kind of get away yeah. from from everything and yeah. And, and I that. wish I wish our I wish our bubble were bigger. Mm -hmm. I wish it got more respect. Yeah. I wish that more people shared our passion for something that deserves passion. It was made with passion. But it is it is very much a, a safe place for me for sure. Yeah. Oh my God. I mean, it's just I see people raving about you know uh, the Anne Rice novels or or Buffy the Vampire Slayer or whatever. I'm like, those things wouldn't exist if it weren't for for Dark Shadows. Anne Rice was a yeah. huge Dark Shadows fan. She, I mean, it's yeah. obvious you can and she she's open used to openly talk about it. Stephen King was yeah. a Dark Shadows fan. I mean, there. These things yeah. are, uh, and it, and it had such an impact. I think that it just doesn't get the the credit that it deserves, and it would frustrate me when I go to. I went to San. I mentioned this on the podcast before. I went to San Diego Comic Con. Uh, it was 2016. It was the 50th anniversary of uh, Dark Shadows, uh, Batman 66, and Star Trek. Um, and oh, I guess the monkeys too. I didn't see. Any, I didn't see any monkeys stuff at, at San Diego, but I was. I, I saw lots of Batman, lots of Star Trek no dark shadows except i think there was hermes press did a panel hermes press did do do a panel uh for their for their comic collections uh that they were putting out at the time but um it's just frustrating like i'd like to see more of a presence in pop culture what is the key there like why and how can dark shadows yeah well it needs yeah. i mean it needs its next it needs its next generation it needs star yeah. trek the next generation and that's yeah. and you know yeah, yeah. if it's not mark yeah. v perry it's going to be someone is going to care enough to like introduce that to yeah. the world in a way that is modern and fresh and will be exciting. And once you open that door to that world and say, well, you know, I didn't create this, 
you know what? And the Twilight movies didn't create this. And Anne mm -hmm. Rice didn't create this. And Stephen King didn't create this. Dark Shadows created this. So go back and look. Respect yeah. must be paid, as Arthur Miller said. Yes. Respect must be paid. Yeah. I mean, it's what happened with Doctor Who, right? Uh, when when yeah. the new, new Doctor Who people went back to look at the original uh, yeah. Doctor Who episodes, which are not a far cry from... Uh, yeah. Dark Shadows, those early Doctor yeah. Who episodes. So um, certainly, and another thing too, is when I had Will McKinley on the podcast, he did point out that, you know, things, Star Trek and Batman have huge corporations backing yeah. them to put them out there. And Dark Shadows is Dan Curtis's daughter. So they own, they own yeah. Dark Shadows. Uh, uh, so that's, it's not, it's. Yeah, but, but, but with the right corporate support, which is possible, Mm -hmm. You know, with a new series or some new idea behind it, you know, and and Warner saying, OK, we'll spend the money. Let's make this a film. Let's make this a release. Let's, let's do something with this. You know, I am I live in perpetual hope because, uh, you know, I couldn't face the blank computer screen every day if I didn't. And my perpetual hope for Dark Shadows is that event will occur and there will be um, some flash of lightning that will make people just stop and look for a second and give it a chance, you know, yeah. and give it a chance in the right way, give it a chance in the right way, not as camp, which drives me insane. Yeah. Because same. there's never been a more, there's never been a more earnest television show than, than Dark Shadows ever. You know, it is not camp. It's the, it's the diametric opposite of camp, but I believe there's a way, I have to believe that's going to happen. Being in, in, in the industry, working in film and television do you run into uh people who are dark shadows fans yeah of course of course i do yeah, yeah. i mean i mean it's it's they tend to be older mm -hmm. you know and they tend to have an awareness of the genre and the art mm -hmm. form yeah uh, but you know they they see my phone or my wallet it's a dark shadow <laughs> but you know people will comment on it in a great way yeah you know sometimes sometimes i i leave my wallet sort of sitting out on a table and I hope people will notice. I hope someone will say, oh, yeah. it's Dark Shadows, Barnabas Collins. You know, I watched yeah. that. My mother watched that. I saw that movie or something or I read those comic books. Um, so people people do. And sometimes in very surprising ways that you wouldn't expect. This person loves Dark Shadows. OK, let's talk. Let's talk yeah. storylines. Yeah. Let's talk. Let's talk Count Patofi. Yeah. <laughs> or or Bar I mean, your your original love of uh, of monsters and Shakespeare, Jonathan Frid. Yes. Combine those. He, he, he was exactly that. right. <laughs> exactly right. I mean, one of the reasons, obviously, when I was a kid, I wanted to be Barnabas Collins. You know, looking back on it, other characters emerged to me as being particularly thrilling or exciting or, or moving in some way. Mm -hmm. But yes, it, it, for me, it was the combination of the the gravitas, the way he used language. You know, as a Shakespearean actor, with oh, and you're a bloodthirsty, torn vampire. Okay, you know, it was, it was again. Did they make this show for me? Uh, it's, it feels like that sometimes yeah yeah <laughs> you know? oh great um all right john well um is there anything else you want to touch on that we haven't covered before we well i just i just want to say you know how much i admire what you're doing you oh, know because you. It's, it's it's people like you that keep a very important flame alive and we have to keep it alive because it's meaningful it's meaningful to art and it's meaningful to life if you let it be you know, and what you do so enthusiastically with so much benevolence, you know, through your podcast, through Shilling Shockers, is so it is so loving and welcoming to everyone about what they think about Dark Shadows. You can be queer, you can be straight, you can be any race, you can hate this story online, you can love that character. It's all accepted in the world that you've created. So so hats off to you is is what I say. 
Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. That means a lot to me. Thank you. Um, I love I love hearing different perspectives. You know, I, I it's I like hearing what people how people see dark shadows through their own lens and and what they love about it, you know, or not love about it. And it's fun uh, to listen to. But one unifying theme, which you called out, one thing that a lot of fans have in common is that sort of feeling other and connecting with the show. Somebody, p people who feel different and connect with the show in yeah. that way. And, yeah. and, and thus, thus the moral imperative of the show that we spoke about. Mm -hmm. You feel different. You feel other. You feel like Adam. What are you going to do? What yeah. are you going to do? Are you going to be vengeful? Are you going to be forgiving? Are you going to yeah. be wicked? Are you going to be good? Yeah. Thank you, Sarah Collins. And yeah. thank you, Barnabas Collins, for living that story for us. So we could we could experience so many variations of it, you know, because art is about morality. It's supposed to be, it's supposed to be lessons to live by in some way or to reject in some way. And that was so compellingly presented, you know, in Dark Shadows, I think. I just want to remind people uh, about double feature uh, and, uh, you know, keep, keep, keep your uh, eyes out for that. Cause uh, if you're, if you're in London, definitely please go see it. Cause it sounds amazing. Uh, and if it comes here to the States, I'm sure I will make my way uh, to hopefully to New York or Boston uh, and, and to go, <laughs> to go see that. Um, and uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell us about that's coming up outside of double feature? Well, uh, you know, th there's a couple um you know, uh, five day, days ago, a movie that I've been working on for seven years started filming, and it's called Michael. It's about the, the life story of Michael Jackson. And it's a very complex, big uh, movie. And that comes out, uh, I believe, April of next year. So hang on, go see Michael. And I, and I wrote a musical with the Avid brothers called Swept Away that was at the arena stage um, and hopefully would be going to New York sometime this season. Knock wood. So keep an eye out for those maybe. Oh, wonderful. Fantastic. Well, John, I, I want to thank you again for visiting with me and taking time out of your very busy schedule to uh, talk about Dark Shadows with me. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. It's been uh, great uh, chatting with you over email, too. Uh, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll, we can have you back uh, sometime uh, to... When you do the entire episode about Count Potoffi's unicorn, please call me, because that's my particular <laughs> obsession. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I there, there need, we need to have the backstory of, of Count Potofi. And, we do, and, and, desperately. We, we need to see this. Um, <laughs> that's such a weird thing, too. I mean, we could just keep going because it's so wild that they threw that in, too. I'm like, this is something yeah. out of a like a dark fairy tale or something. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's like, again, you, you're sitting there as a kid. You're like, what did he just say? And suddenly a whole new door is opened up about that character. It's gorgeous. Yes, it's a gorgeous piece of, it's a gorgeous idea and a gorgeous piece of performance. Yes, absolutely. Oh, it, wonderful. So, well, um, thank you again, John. And folks, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe to the podcast so that you don't miss any episodes. And if you have friends uh, who love Dark Shadows or all things spooky, please spread the word, spread it like the dream curse. Let them know about terror at Collinwood End. We'll see you next time. So I'm just cutting in here after the fact. I've used Quentin's stairway through time, and I'm now in the future. And I've given this some thought, what we're talking about here. And I always say, oh, I want to live in the TV show Collinwood. The, the movie Collinwood, I'm a little scared to live there. The TV show one, I'm kind of drawn into it. But then I thought about it a little more. It's, in a, it's a, such a wonderful escape, such a fantastical place. You want to be there. But if you really think about it, it's a really dangerous place to live. 
I mean, you want to live in Collinsport? It just might be a good episode topic. Maybe I'll interview a bunch of fans and be like, really think about this. Do you really want to live in Collinwood? Let's really give this some thought. It is a great escape. It's a world that pulls you in, right? You want to inhabit that world. Live in Collinwood. Go to the Blue Whale. But, you know, the chances that you will survive that world are limited. Um, You probably will be killed if not by a supernatural being, then probably by a vengeful psychopath or as a byproduct of somebody trying to frame someone else, Um, but probably by a werewolf who tears you to shreds or a vampire. And I mean, yeah, it's cool. Dark Shadows has ghosts and vampires and werewolves and witches and zombies. And it's cool until they come for you. So are you, I mean, I guess if you went in with like Professor Stokes level knowledge of the supernatural and came armed (laughs) for that, you were prepared. But if you're new in town, you just, you know, you went through the parallel times or you're, you're spending the weekend at Seaview Terrace, you go into the East Wing, you open the door and parallel time is real, but you end up in Collinwood, real Collinwood. You're new in town. Chances are you're not going to survive. You are doomed. Um, And then you will probably wander the halls of Collinwood as a tormented spirit for the rest of eternity. That still sounds kind of cool. There's there's still a pull there, I have to admit. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. You'd be a ghost in Collinwood. You can scare other people now. Uh, But it's, um, this is getting to weird territory here. What what I'm talking about, this is extremely geeky. But do you really want to live in Collinwood or in Collinsport in general? Knee-jerk reaction, yes. But if you think about what will most likely happen to you. The per capita uh, murder rate in Collinsport is probably unnaturally high. You're probably going to be killed by something horrible or at the very least tormented by something in your life or some external force that is oppressing you. How many like super happy people do you see living in Collinsport? And especially in Collinwood. Ain't nobody happy in Collinwood. So, I mean, I'm just saying. Because happy endings and dark shadows are few and far between. That said, I think I'd still risk it. And for as long as they lived, the dark shadows never truly vanished. For there will always be Terror at Collinwood. Terror at Collinwood is a Penny Dreadful production.